Hey everybody, Pastor Chris here. Thanks for listening to our Market Street Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more ways to connect, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. We know that's what the reason is for the season is Jesus. And those of you that uh, had Santa as a helper, uh, we hope that you were blessed and encouraged. We uh, wanted to do that for you. So that's really the idea of this series anyways. It's for you. Uh, there was something specific in mind for you, and God had some things. And he used a, a guy, an ordinary guy, uh, by the name of Luke. And Luke was just a, he was a historian. Um, man, if anybody looked at the life of Luke or looked at his works uh, that he wrote, which is the Gospel of Luke or the account of Jesus according to Luke, and then also the, the uh, book of Acts or the letter of, uh, about the Acts of the Apostles or some say the Acts of Paul. Uh, he, was a, he was a top-notch historian. Uh, his investigations, his interviews, and he said that. He told them that. He said, I'm, I'm in, in, you know, investigating this. I'm, I'm you know, having people, eyewitnesses that were you know, with Jesus, uh, traveled. They, he traveled with the Apostle Paul on missionary journeys. He says, I'm, I'm going, I'm talking with everybody. And, and he was a theologian, so he wanted people to know who God was like. He wanted, and that's really what Jesus came for. Jesus wanted people to know what God is like. And so Luke wanted to make sure that everybody knew uh, what God was like. But he was also, he was just a physician. You know, he was kind of in the, into the science of, of this life and understanding, you know, science, I think, is just understanding how God did certain things. And uh, Luke was a physician. He was, he was in science. And so, and he wanted just, he was re- really just writing this letter, uh, re- his two letters, Luke and Acts. He was writing these two letters to this guy. Um, his name was Theophilus. And he just described him as most excellent, most excellent. Uh, I sound like Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, you know. But he was, he was uh, described, and the reason why he described him as most excellent is because he was probably some sort of high-ranking Roman official. And we talked, if you're here with us last week or listened to the message last week, it was plausible, very plausible. Now, there's a lot of theories on who Theophilus is, but it was very plausible that Theophilus was King Herod Agrippa II, King Herod Agrippa II, whom Paul was on trial, and he shared his story of how he got saved. And, and King Herod Agrippa told Paul, you think in a short time, you think your you know, little speech about how you got saved or how you met Jesus is going to make me become a Christian? And that word Christian meant just to be a Christ follower or Jesus follower. And so possibly, we don't know, it's just conjecture, possibly Luke heard that and said, you know what, then I'm going to interview everybody that I can. I'm going to talk to as many eyewitnesses that I can. I'm going to gather all the information that I can gather. And so Theophilus, who was possibly another name because Theophilus meant lover of God or a friend of God. And so he was possibly saying, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to spend not just a short time like Paul had, but I'm going to spend a long time gathering all the evidence, gathering all the information, talking to all the eyewitnesses so that Theophilus can know for sure that what Paul is saying and what I'm writing to him is absolutely true. And it's fact. And it happened. And so this is Luke writing to this one guy 
And, and, he, and God used that. God used one ordinary person to do an ex, with an extraordinary purpose. One ordinary person. God had an extraordinary purpose. Because in Luke's mind, he's thinking, I'm just writing to this most excellent Theophilus who may or may not have been King Herod Agrippa II. But Luke is thinking, I'm just going to convince this one guy. But God had a bigger plan in mind. God had a bigger purpose in mind. God wanted millions of people to get Luke's writings. Millions of people to get the book of Luke and the, and the book of Acts. He wanted millions of people. And as a result of that, millions of people's lives were changed because Luke decided he was going to write a letter for one individual person and God used it in an extraordinary way which is something for all of us to understand and and this is exactly what for so we he he wrote to Theophilus and he's to, to essentially to us hey you know what God did for you you know what God did for you he he offered forgiveness that's what God did for you. He's offered forgiveness for our sins. At the greatest miracle that God will ever do in your life, he's done it on the cross. He did it by conquering the grave. And he's brought forgiveness to you. What a miracle that God has done. What a gift that God says, this is for you. Forgiveness is for you. But God only didn't just give a gift of Jesus and he offered forgiveness. That what else is in that package and that gift for you is favor. It's favor. That God says, I want to, you are highly favored. You have the spirit of God in you, just like Mary had the, the, the life of Jesus in her. That you, you, when you put your faith in Jesus, the life of Jesus comes and dwells in you. Just like the Spirit of God came in on Mary, the Spirit of God comes in on you, and what that makes you is highly favored by God. Isn't that good news? Like, you can walk out of here today knowing that you are highly favored by God. No matter how you feel, no matter what experiences tell you otherwise, you can know that you are highly favored. You know, life isn't fair. Life just treats me poorly. Life just doesn't seem to be dealing me a bad hand. I'm going through this difficult season. Christmas to me is not merry. Christmas for me is miserable. Christmas for me is not happy. Christmas for me is horrible. But I got news for you. Christmas, whether you, whatever your experiences are, Christmas t tells you and me that you are highly favored. So today we're going to talk about another what's in this gift for you, not just forgiveness, and not only favor, but for you, fearless. You and I can be fearless. You and I can have no fear whatsoever. When it comes to any circumstances, this is in the gift for you, fearless. Now, there's a phrase all throughout the Bible, but it's also found in many times, and I'll show it to you, through the story of the birth of Jesus. And it's this phrase, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Now, all through the Bible, this statement is always given to God's people. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Even when you have reasons to be afraid. Even when you have legitimate reasons to fear or to, to worry or to have anxiety, he says, the scripture says, God's saying, but you don't have to be. But you don't have to be.
but you don't have to be. Let me show you. Let me show you a few verses just in the Christmas story. But the angel said to him, Zacharias, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. So this is, again, an angel comes. This is a terrifying experience. When an angel shows up, they would oftentimes mistake angels for God himself, and they would be floored by it. They would be terrified. The glory of even an angel was horrifying for people. And so they would always have to say, at any time an angel showed up, his line was always, do not be afraid. <laughs> Just do not be afraid. I know you're terrified right now. You have every reason to be afraid, but you don't need to be afraid. And this could be a point of the sermon, but it's not. But it could be. He hears your petitions. So whatever it is that you're petitioning to God, whatever it is that you're crying out to God, whatever it is that you want, you want God to know, God knows. And whatever seems bleak and whatever seems uncertain and whatever seems done and whatever seems finished, whatever seems it's over, it's not with God, right? Because God, are you with me in the room, at home? God is an impossible working God. Like the miracles is what God does impossible is where God starts. This is the God that we have. And so Zechariah, I keep praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. Okay, I gotta, I gotta go on. But I just want to say, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Whatever you, whenever you think it's done, you don't need to be afraid. That's not even really one of the points, but it, it's a good point. Next time it says this, look at, and the angel said to her, remember to Mary, do not be afraid, Mary. Why? Well, because you have found favor with God. You don't need to be afraid because you're highly favored, remember? Matthew, look at Matthew writes in the account when he addresses the Joseph. But when he had considered this, what was, what was Joseph considering? Joseph was considering leaving Mary. Joseph wasn't sure if he could believe the story that Mary was telling him about how she was conceived by the Holy Spirit and how an angel came to her and told her this information. He was not sure if he could believe that information. And maybe you're watching or listening or maybe you're in the room and you're not really sure if you really believe this either. And you're in good company because the earthly father of Jesus was in the same boat that you're in right now. I don't know if I can believe this. I don't know. It seems too hard to believe. And I'm considering walking away. I'm considering being done with this thing called Christianity. I'm considering just, you know, calling it, calling it quits and, and saying, you know what, that's for my wife or those are, that's for my kids or that's for my other family. I'm just, I'm just, that's just not for me. And then the angel says to him, angel appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, you don't need to be afraid to take Mary as your wife for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. You don't need to be afraid. I, I, know you, I know you're considering leaving. I know you're considering walking away. But I don't want you to be afraid because of something that maybe you're just having a hard time wrapping your mind around and understanding what God is doing. And if you can relate to that, Joseph was in the same situation. Another area it says in the Christmas story, but the angel said to them, these are talking about the shepherds, right? Tending their sheep, their flock by night. Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. Hey, you don't need to be afraid. You know why? Because there's good news for you. 
because there's great joy for you. It's for you. So two reasons, two reasons why you do not need to be afraid in all seasons, not just this Christmas season, but for all, in all seasons. There's, there's two reasons in the story of why you don't need to be afraid of anything. That you can, that in the story of Christmas is about understanding that the gift that God has for you is, is the gift of being fearless, fearless. No matter what comes your way, no matter what comes floods into your mind, no matter how your heart feels, no matter what your experiences around you are telling you, you don't need to be afraid at all. So, a couple reasons. Number one, he's always working in waiting. He's always working in waiting. He's always working even when you're waiting for something to happen. Now, here's where we get that from. Luke 2, Luke, writing this, he's a historian, theologian, physician, writing to Theophilus, and here's what he says. Now, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. Now, who's Caesar Augustus? Well, Caesar Augustus is not actually his name. Caesar Augustus is his title. Caesar Augustus's title means, Caesar means ruler, Augustus means revered. He was a revered ruler. That was his title. His actual name was this, Gaius Julius Caesar Octavius. Gaius Julius Caesar Octavius. He went by, in short, he went by Octavian. That's what he went by. So here's this guy, this revered ruler in charge of you know, Rome, all of Rome, Roman Empire, the most powerful man in the, in the known world. And, and he's reminding Theophilus it was the time when there was that census by, you know, by Gaius Julius Caesar Octavius or Caesar Augustus is what he was known or wanted people to call him. And it says that it was at that time, Theophilus. And then he goes on and says this. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. So why, reasons why censuses were taken were, were, was simple. It was for tax purposes, for tax purposes. Rome wanted as much money from people as they possibly could, and so they wanted to account for as many people as they could so that they could collect money from those people. Sound familiar in this life, right? It's a, it, was, it was tax reasons and tax purposes. So now Caesar Augustus is in charge. He's the revered ruler. And he put, now, not for the first time, but actually unheard of for the second time, he put Quirinius, no, go back. He put Quirinius in charge of Syria. So, so some skeptics would say that, well, Quirinius wasn't governor at the time of the birth of Jesus. He was governor years prior to that. Well, Historians have discovered, and just like Luke is a masterful historian, historians have discovered that Quirinius, yes, was governor years before the birth of Jesus, but then was also then put into a governor position again by Caesar Augustus. And you know what Quirinius did? Here's what Quirinius did. Girls 15 years of age and older were subject to the poll tax before, prior to Quirinius. 
They, it was girls 15 years of age and older were subject to the poll tax. Anything younger than that, they, they weren't subject to the poll tax and they didn't have to participate in the census. When Quirinius was governor of Syria, he did something that was unique and out of the norm. He changed the age to 12 years and older. Now, why is this important? Why is this significant? Because if he was 15 years of age and older, chances are Mary wouldn't have had to participate in the census. Mary would have just simply stayed in Nazareth, had baby Jesus in her hometown of Nazareth. But because Quirinius changed the age of 12 and older, she was required to go with Joseph to a little town called Bethlehem. That is the providential workings of God through these tyrant rulers and those who thought that they were revered and should be revered. So verse 3, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city, because that's what everybody had to do. But you know what's so amazing? What's so amazing about this, what's so incredibly providential about this, is that there was a time period, it was about a 200-year time period, and here's what historians say about this 200-year time period, that it was a miracle that happened. It was a miracle. It was, these are what non-Christians, uh, you know, secular historians say about this time period, that it was a miracle of peace that happened a 200-year miracle of peace that happened as a result of the Roman Empire, specifically as the result of Octavian, that he created, he established, starting in 27 BC, and it went all the way into about 180 AD, this 200-year so or so period. He established what was called the Pax Romana, the Pax Romana, which means in, in Latin, it means Roman peace. Roman peace. That meant that as long as Rome was under the authority, as long as Caesar Augustus was in charge, wherever people wanted to travel, that they, he was going to ensure their safety. And if people traveled and they were not safe, and if they weren't safe and there wasn't peace for them, that Roman authority, Roman government was going to come down hard on them. Caesar Augustus, which was his title, Gaius, Julius, Caesar, Octavius was the one that began this thing. So when they were on their way to Bethlehem, because it was required for everybody to go to, go to their hometown to take the census, the reason why they were able to travel there in peace was because of this. A 200-year miracle, not because of Caesar Augustus, but because of an almighty God. Let's go on. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, Nazareth, Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family of David. So this was also foretold hundreds of years prior to this. Two things were foretold. One, God told David that through his family tree, through his family lineage, that the ruler would rise up. There would be one who would rule God's people, and then he described him as 
forever or for all of eternity. That's what, that's what he, God told David hundreds of years before Luke wrote this letter to Theophilus. And so because of the fact that Joseph was of the family of David, he had to go back to the hometown of David in a city called Bethlehem. Now, this is significant for, for a couple reasons. Number one, there were two Bethlehems in that time frame. There were two cities or towns called Bethlehem in that time frame. Let me show you a map of it if you can see it. This is where Mary and Joseph lived. There's one Bethlehem there. But that's not the Bethlehem that they had to travel through. Of course, right? They had to travel from Nazareth all the way down to this Bethlehem right here. Depending on the route, whether they went this way or whether they went this way, it was somewhere around 80 or 90 miles that they had to travel from Nazareth to this Bethlehem here. Why? Because this is where King David was born and, and Joseph was from the family of David and this is the Bethlehem they had to go to. This Bethlehem is about five miles away. This Bethlehem is about 80 miles away, right? There were two Bethlehems in that time. Now, here's what's so fascinating about that. Not only was Joseph from the family and the lineage of David, but the other reason was, was this, is that 700 or maybe 800 years prior to the birth of Jesus, there was a prophet by the name of Micah who was inspired by God to write out a prophecy of the coming Messiah. And here's what he writes. This is amazing. I hope, I hope you're not bored. This is incredible. But as for you, Bethlehem Epathra, but as for you, Bethlehem Epathra, now, he gets so specific. Seven, eight hundred years prior to the birth of Jesus, Micah tells us exactly which Bethlehem He's talking about because there was two Bethlehems at the birth of Jesus. But Micah, inspired by God, providential by God, wrote a specific Bethlehem. And out of that specific Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah from you. One will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel, and his going forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. God is always working, even when you don't realize he is. In the waiting of the birth of Jesus, God was orchestrating so much. And then he says, Luke says, just as a way of just saying, you know what? And also in, in Luke 2 5, look what he says in Luke 2 5. In order, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're, you, you, you can't be with child if you're engaged. That's against God's laws. Why, why, why is, you know, she claiming to be with child and, and, and she's claiming to have God's son and, and she's engaged to Joseph, but she's with child with Joseph when 
And Isaiah, 700 years prior to, tells us why, even though she was engaged and with child, Isaiah says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Come on, church. Even while you're waiting, God is working. What do you have to fear? What do you have to worry about? Why are we so anxious and caught up in our own stuff, in our own deals, in our own situations, in our own health, in our own finances, in our own relationships? We get worried and we get afraid. Is this going to work out? Is this going to pan out? Is this going to happen? God, do you care? God, are you listening? God, are you watching? God, are you in tune to what's happening in my life? And God has reminded us through the Christmas story, I'm working in the waiting. I'm working. I'm doing a work that you don't even see. I'm doing something amazing that you don't even know what's happening. It's all going to come to light eventually. But right now, you just need to know, even in the times where you don't even get what's happening, you can't wrap your mind on what's going on with you. You just need to know that God is working for you. What do you have to be afraid of? God is working for you. A second reason. First reason, you shouldn't be afraid. God is working for you. Second reason, he's always, God is always in perfect heavenly peace. In all the turmoil, in all the uncertainty, in all the questions, in all the conflict, God is doing just fine. He's, he's good. He's on a throne. He's in charge. He's okay. Nothing, nothing goes past him that he's not aware of. He's always in perfect heavenly peace. So the shepherds get news from the angels, right? And the angels are like, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And the shepherds are like, well, I have every reason to be afraid. You're terrifying. And then they tell him good news of great joy for all people. Go to Bethlehem, and here's what you're, it'll be a sign to you. You're going to find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And they're thinking, that's kind of weird. A baby lying in a manger in a food trough? Oh, that's kind of weird. Well, let's go and ch check it out. And so they go. And so it says in verse 16, so they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph. And the baby, as he lay in the manger. In other words... They show up, they believe that what the report is that they got was true, then they see for their own eyes what they heard, they now see for their own eyes, yes, this is true, and what they see is that they see God incarnate and he's doing just fine. God's not worried, why do I need to be? God's not afraid, why do I need to be? God's perfectly at peace. He was probably sleeping in a manger. And they look at God sleeping in a manger going, if he's sleeping, if he's at rest in the midst of this turmoil around us, we should be too. If he's not afraid, why am I afraid? If he's not worried, why do I worry? And so as a result of that, Verse 20 says, the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just 
as had been told them. So in other words, if God's not afraid, why would I be afraid? If he's perfectly at heavenly peace, I should be too. David, King David, wrote it this way. He says in Psalm 27, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? He's my light. He's my salvation. They looked, the shepherds showed up. They looked in the manger and they saw God in, in flesh. They believed the reports. They believed what they heard. They seen it with their own eyes. He's our salvation. He's, he's, he's at perfect peace. And so therefore, who, whom do, shall I fear? What do I, what do I need to be afraid of? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? So that David's writing it this way. He's saying, listen, listen, do not dread. He's your defense. Like, what are we, what are we dreading? What are you dreading? What, what, is you, what are you afraid of? What, 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 what uncertainty in your future that you're going, I don't know how this is going to pan out. I don't know how this is going to work out. What are you dreading as you're moving forward in your life? You need to know. You need to be reminded. I need to be reminded. When I get afraid, when I get concerned, when I'm not sure of the future, I need to know this. He's my defense. He's got me. He's, he's in front of me. He's, he's in charge. He's ruler of my life. I'm, I don't need to be worried about anything. I've got the almighty God as my defender. And I don't need to be so defensive when I'm offended because he's my defender. And when I'm offended, I get defensive and I'm just taking God's role instead of just being playing my role. And that is, I don't, I don't need to worry about it. I don't need to be afraid of it. He's defending. I don't need to be defensive. Right? And here's what Jesus would teach. Do not dread he knows your deal. He knows your situation. He's aware of your circumstance. He's in tune to the very micro level of your concern. He knows your deal. Jesus even taught us that. Look what Jesus says in Luke 12. Luke 12. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. He goes on and says this. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Like he, he, He's aware of the birds. He's aware of you. He's, he's concerned of the birds. He's concerned for you. And he's, he's saying, listen, how, how much more... How much more valuable are you than the birds? What do you have to be afraid of? Do not fear. And Jesus was so aware of the deals that he even knew the deals of sparrows. He's like, are not, you know, five sparrows sold for two pennies or two cents? And look, look at Matthew's account. Matthew says, are not two sparrows sold for a cent? Jesus was so aware of the deal. 
He's like, I know, I, Jesus was, I know the deals. Like if you buy two sparrows for a cent, you can buy two more sparrows for another cent and get the fifth sparrow free. What a deal, right? What a deal on sparrows. I get a free sparrow for two cents? What a deal. What do you have to dread? He knows your deals. He, know your, he, he knows your relationship deals. He knows your financial deals. He knows your health deals. He knows your marriage deals. He knows the deals with your kids. He knows the deals that you lack. He knows the deals that you long for. He knows the deals that you lost. You are more valuable in the eyes of God. So when it comes to your deal, what do you have to be afraid of? Do not fear. But Jesus says, he says, okay, I want you to now shift your thought process here. And look what he says now, in the same context of, of Luke 12, talking about the sparrows and the deals. And look what Jesus says first. Before he says, you're more valuable than sparrows. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. He says in verse five, but I warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Fear him. So it's not completely true that the gift for you is to be fearless. It's to redirect your fear to someone else. It's not to put your fear or concern in the situations of your life. But what Jesus is saying, you need to Shift your fear to God because he's the one who has all the authority. He's the one who has the authority to, what he, Jesus says, to cast into hell. He says, fear him. He said, I'm not even supposed to fear the one that can kill the body. Jesus said, don't even, you don't even have to worry about somebody that actually can kill your body. You don't even have to worry about them. You don't have to fear them. No, 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 no. You fear him who has the authority to cast you into hell. In other words, he's, he's saying this. Dread the one who determines where you go after you're dead. Fear him. So our fear is misdirected. Our fear is on a situation, on a circumstance, on a person, on a, a, you know, a, a, a situation in my life. That's our fear is, is shifted wrong. Where our fear should be directed to God. It is not like a fear that we experience when we're afraid of something, afraid of the future, afraid of a you know, circumstance, afraid of what's going to happen to us. It's more of a revere. It's more of a revere. So I don't think it's accidental that Luke 
started the story of the birth of Jesus by saying this. You know, it was when the census was taken by Caesar Augustus. Oh, what does Caesar Augustus mean? It means revered ruler. And what Luke potentially was saying to Theophilus and what God is potentially saying to us is that you need to redirect your fear to revere. You need to redirect your fear to revere. So Luke was saying to Theophilus, hey, you know Caesar Augustus, right? Caesar means ruler. Augustus means revered. He says you need to redirect, redirect your fear to revere God. You need to revere the one who has all the authority and is able and capable of doing anything. You need to redirect your fear or your awe or your reverence to him. To him. And this is exactly what the shepherds did. They were afraid. And they went and saw King Jesus at perfect heavenly peace. And they went away. And what did they do? They were giving reverence. They were praising and they were glorifying God. They redirected their fear to revere God. And so he's saying Octavian, Octavian or Caesar Augustus or, or Gaius, Julius Caesar, Octavius, Octavian, who was feared by all. So the greatest ruler, the, man, the most powerful man in, in the known world, he was feared by all, was only a footnote in the story of a Savior born for you. The most powerful, revered ruler in the known world was just a footnote in the story of the one who deserves all our reverence, who deserves all our praise and glory because that's what's due to him. Because for today, in the city of David, there's been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Revere him. Revere him. Don't direct your fear on anything else, on anyone else. For us, in this world, we should be fearless. We should be fearless. No matter what they can do to you, no matter how they can treat you, no matter how they, what they say about you, you should be fearless. You shouldn't be afraid of anything. Your fear and your reverence is directed in one place. It's to a Savior that was born for you. And he's Christ the Lord. And just like Micah said about him, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler. In Israel. And his going forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Fear him. Revere him. He is king of kings and Lord of Lord. And he deserves all your praise and all glory. He deserves. Don't direct your fear and don't be afraid 
of anything. Point it all to him. Point it all to him. Come back Thursday, and we're going to talk about the final part of the gift for you. And I'll give you a hint. It's forever. What a gift. Forever. Let's pray. Father, oh, you consider us so valuable, and we're humbled by that. And because you came, and you came as you always are, just in this perfect heavenly peace, and before you came and while we were waiting, you were, you were working. And you were putting people like Octavian, who was a Caesar Augustus, who was a revered ruler. And you, you just made him as a, one of your pawns. And he was just a footnote for Theophilus and for us to, to read and to say, wow. You use the most powerful man in the known world. You use him just as a, as a pawn to bring in and to usher in the story of redemption, the story of forgiveness, the story of the fact that we can be highly favored, the story of the, of the fact that, that we can know what it means to have eternal, eternal life and to know that we can live this life fearless of whatever comes our way because you're for us. You're for us. You're our defender. You're our refuge. You're our hope. You're our salvation. And you have all the authority. And so our fear is only going to be directed to you out of reverence for who you are. I pray, Lord, that we walk out of here and we walk about our days and our lives fearless knowing that you're in charge, knowing that you're in control over everything. In Jesus' name, amen.